0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. If you're new with us, we are in a series called Supernatural Courage. And sometimes we think as we look at these Bible characters that they are superheroes uh, that we could never be like. Uh, So far, what we've seen as we've made our way through this series, we've looked at the story of David and Goliath and how he slung his slingshot and the stone that killed this mighty Goliath. We looked last week at the story of Esther and her courage to come before the king with this bold request. And now, today, we look. At the story, the familiar story of Daniel in the lion's den. And as we, as we see these stories, we, we seem to have this love for the fantastic, right? We, we look into these stories and there's something that, that uh, reels us in, and we're intrigued by the, the courage they had, the faith they had, but we think, I'll never be like them. How, how can I relate to them in their stories and how they overcame these? odds by their tremendous faith and courage. And yet, today, the story of Daniel gives us a window into really what it means to live a life of integrity, a life of integrity in a world of hostility. We're brought into the the plain and mundane moments of Daniel's life and how that shaped him into the man he was to be. And so the main point that I want to make today for all of us here in this room is how can we live lives of integrity in a world of hostility? And unashamedly, this message is more pointed towards us as men, as fathers on this Father's Day. If ever there was a need for us as men to rise up, today is that day. And so if you've got a Bible Turn to Daniel 6, if you haven't already. Daniel is a book in the Old Testament. If you get to Ezekiel, you you have to go one more book over and you'll get to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Familiar story, but let me give you kind of the context leading up to this chapter here. So this is 580 BC, and God's people are exiled. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has come in and has uh, taken over the town of Jerusalem, And uh, has basically uh, taken captive the people of God in Jerusalem. And one of those is Daniel. Uh, More than likely, he's only in his middle school years uh, as the book of Daniel begins. And he's taken captive and carried off to this ancient city of Babylon, a city full of idolatry. And he's selected to be part of a program. Daniel, as we'll see, was given an unusual gift of, of wisdom. And skill, and so the best and the brightest of these young people were invited to be part of a program uh, for the king. And so Daniel is growing up in this pagan environment, and yet he never compromises his faith in God. And so just a quick application for us, because when it comes to us as fathers, when it comes to us as parents, we want to say, how can we raise a Daniel? I mean, how can we raise our son and daughter's to be ready to stand up for their faith and have integrity in a culture that's growing increasingly hostile to the gospel. How does that happen? Well, much uh, ink has been uh, written in books about how we can parent our, our kids, and so there's no simple answers to this except for one I want to give you today. You can give your kids a lot of things, but you cannot give them grace. Grace. You can give your kids a lot of things, but you cannot give them saving grace. And so we as parents, we often take way too much credit when our kids get it right and way too much blame when our kids get it wrong. Ultimately, we can't get inside the heart of our kids and bring about salvation, a heart change. There are things we can do. We can give them the gospel. We can bring them here to be part of a church family we can be faithful and as we raise them and understanding what it means to uh, be raised in the instruction of the lord but ultimately 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 it comes down to god's saving grace on their lives and god blessed daniel immensely by his sovereign grace he chose daniel to do some incredible things as we'll see Daniel grew up actually under three different kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and finally uh, King Darius. And through it all, he was a man of integrity. And as we'll see, he was a man of integrity publicly and privately. So let's begin with how he was a man of integrity uh, publicly. Look at verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials or presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the kingdom and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents or the high officials in the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. And so it begins with uh, King Darius setting over his kingdom 120 satraps. Satraps. Uh, when I look at that word, I think of it as a play on on words. Uh, Because these guys are going to actually trap Daniel in what he's going to say, (laughs) say traps. There's no Greek to that. That's just my weird kind of thinking, okay? So we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But the king is looking for and appointing high-character guys to lead and to govern his kingdom. Guys who would be willing to say, I've got your back, king, and I'm going to lead with wisdom and justice. And so Daniel, as we see in verse 3, becomes distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, distinguished above all. So evidently, this, this Daniel had a wisdom about him, a competence. He was capable. He was trustworthy. And so he was promoted as the finest statesman here in Babylon, even though he was a Jew, an outsider, distinguished above all. We also see in verse three, it's because he has an excellent spirit within him. And what does that mean? It means that Daniel had an unusual attitude, uh, an enthusiasm, a graciousness. There was something visibly different about this man. I don't know if you've ever encountered someone, you just walk away thinking, there's something about that person. Just not that they're glowing or anything, but they're just. There's a graciousness, there's a gentleness, there's a deep wisdom, there's an attitude of joy that that runs deep, and that was true in Daniel. There was a visible difference about him. And when they sought to find fault with Daniel in verse 4, they could find nothing. He was faithful. There was a consistency of character in his life. And imagine this, this is like in in the governing of this city, there was nothing that could be found in this man. No moral fault at all. Favor of God rested upon him for good. Now as I was studying this week, uh, a detail that I had missed prior uh, in years past, I never knew this, um, that at this point in Daniel's life, he's probably in his 80s. So, I don't know if you've ever pictured Daniel in the lion's den as an 80 year old man, but that's what's going on here in this story. He's now at a point where he's in his 80s. And just a quick word of encouragement for those of you who are among us in your 80s, 90s, or close to that point hey, let me encourage you. God is not through with you yet, right? I mean, sometimes we think that when we hit like 55, 60, 65, well, we're just cruising to the finish line. But here's here's Daniel, right, still being used mightily by God to do great things in the city of Babylon. It also made me ask the question, how does a man get to be like this? How does that happen? And it reminded me of a time where I was able to go and visit with Charlie Anderson, Charlie and Bert Anderson in in their home. And I had a good time talking with Charlie. This was probably, I don't know, a few months ago. And uh, he took me downstairs and uh, he showed me a couple pictures and some things that he had hanging on his wall. And one of them was a picture of him and his dad. And I was talking to him a little bit about, um, you know, some of the challenges of being a dad, being a father. And he showed me this picture of himself as just a young little boy, and there's his dad along with him. And he starts telling me about his dad's example. That his dad lived a life of integrity, never used profanity, at all. Always a high character guy. And some of the things that his dad passed along to him that he never forgot, things like walk with a purpose, shake hands. With a purpose. Keep your word. If you say you're going to do something, then do it. And in every job you do, even if it's sweeping the floor, do it as good or better than anyone else. I remembered that, and I'm trying to pass along some of those same kind of truths to my own son. But this is meant to be an encouragement to you as as fathers. Your son and your daughter, they're watching you, right? You're always underneath the microscope. And so for Daniel, he was a man of integrity. And the implication is not just for us as fathers, but also for us in the workplace. Positively, can your employer see something different in you? There was an excellence about Daniel, high character, moral consistency. He was a man that was looked at, a man that was promoted because of his wisdom and his competence and his trustworthiness. Negatively speaking, can your employer find a complaint against you? Is there anything in your life, morally, anything that would be a strike against you right now as you think about your work life? For Daniel, there was no fault that could be found. He was a faithful man of God, and it transcended into whatever he did. Now, I want to say this, though. Not everyone will applaud you or even like you when you live a life of integrity. You know that, right? When we live lives of integrity in a world of hostility, we ought not to expect a reward from the world. We ought not to think that way. But we're in a culture that that seems to uplift, uh, even as young people, as kids, sometimes we're like, we don't want anyone to stand out so everybody gets an award. But as believers in Christ, when we live lives of integrity, we ought not to expect a reward. Because we're working under the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this. Bond servants, these are those of us who are working. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service. We're not doing this to please man, as people pleasers. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing, listen, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. There is a reward coming to you at the end of the age. You're working for the Lord and not for men. For the true king's approval, as we'll see in Daniel's life. How does the world then react to men and women of integrity. Let's see in verses five to nine. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the presidents or high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And so, bottom line, how did these men respond to Daniel's integrity? They responded with jealousy, didn't they? They were jealous, they envied his position and his influence. We see this in our own lives often, don't we? When we live lives of integrity, others around us may think, well, he's making us look bad. Why is he working so hard? (laughs) Everyone else wants to kind of work, you know, about the same pace, just to get by. But if someone is going hard after it with an excellent attitude, it's not often, wow, I want to be like them. It's more like, who does he think he is? It's making us look bad. So if you live this way, if you live a life of integrity, you're going to be a target for others. We should expect this more and more in our culture today and be prepared for it. And so for these worldly men, they wanted to bring Daniel down In verse 4, again, it says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. That's incredible. Think about that today. Could we say that today about people in our land who are governing our country? No fault at all. No error was found in him. Let's bring him down. Let's accuse him. But after a strenuous search, they could find nothing. There are no skeletons in his closet whatsoever. Only religious zeal for God. How is that for an indictment? I mean, for, for us, think about that. Nothing can be found, but he loves Jesus a lot. So let's get him on that. So they went to the king in verses six and seven, flattering him. Oh, King Darius, live forever. Your awesomeness, right? And then verse seven, with lies, all the high officials of the kingdom. Really, all of them? Did you ask Daniel? They're they're lying and they're appealing to his pride at this point. Can you imagine all of your finest leaders coming to you and, and saying, hey, we, we think that you are the only one that really should be praised as as the king. And, and no one else should call upon anyone else except for you. That was flattering. Basically being God for 30 days. And then we have this whole idea of this law of the Medes and the Persians in verse 8. Now, the king established the injunction and signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. What is that all about? Well, this was actually uh, progress in government. Uh, Prior to this, King Nebuchadnezzar, whenever he wanted to, he could just change the law however he felt he had the authority to do so. And so they tried to make it a little more difficult for the king to have some boundaries here. And so this was now policy. If there was a law put in place, it was difficult for it to be revoked. We see the same in Esther's story, if you remember. And so here was this law, and even Daniel knew about it. What would he do? Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So listen, Daniel knew the law. He was aware of that. And he respected the king. But he respected God even more. He lived up to his name. Did you know that the name Daniel means God is my judge? God is my judge. He lived up to His own name. And so he continued to pray as he had done previously. That's an important phrase. As he had done previously. It tells us that this was Daniel's daily rhythm, his daily habit. He didn't change anything, he stayed consistent. He kept meeting with God in prayer three times a day. Now, where did he get that, by the way? He may have learned it from. From David, in Psalm 55 uh, verse 17, David writes, "Evening and morning, and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and God hears my voice." Now there's nothing um, rigid about this, by the way. I want to be clear on this. This was Daniel's practice, but it was the same time. It was the same place, facing his homeland of Jerusalem. And for decades, for decades, this was his daily habit. Every day, he met with God as much as he ate his food. Three times a day in prayer. I want to ask you this question today. If you were forced to quit praying for 30 days, how would that affect your life? Let me ask you a different question. If you were forced to not have your phone For 30 days, how would that affect your life? A little conviction. 30 days, would it make any difference in your life if you could not pray to your God for 30 days? You're like, Daniel, why didn't you just be a little more private about this thing, you know? no No one needs to know about this. But consistently, Daniel said, no, this was my practice I'm not ashamed of my God. It was almost a defiance in prayer. He's the king, and I will not give up seeking my king in prayer. This was key to his life. For Daniel, prayer was more precious than life. This was key. Becoming a man of integrity publicly meant that what he did privately in prayer mattered to him. Consistently over time, he met with God. It wasn't to score points with God, right? you got to know that. Boy, Daniel, he's a really great guy. I want to be like him, so I'm going to do it three times a day, and I'll score some points with God. He'll be really pleased with me. That's not why he did this, not to score points with God, but to enjoy God. He loved God with all his heart. Some of you are reading through our Summer One read, and if not, this is encouragement to do so. Uh, here's a quote from this book by Tim Chester. Christianity is about a relationship with God, and it's about a relationship with God that brings joy. That's so true. And if you're lacking in joy today, and this is not this flimsy happiness that's contingent upon our circumstances. This is a deep, abiding joy in the Father's love. Hey, that's what a relationship with God is meant to be, and we cultivate that joy by meeting with God on a daily basis in prayer and in reading his word. So how do we do this practically? Let me just stop word of application quickly before we finish the story, and I hesitate to use myself as an example because I am really in process with you. I wish I was more disciplined than I am but, but I'm, I'm seeking to grow like you are. And so here's some things you can do, okay, on a daily basis, maybe in the morning. doesn't work for everybody, but in the morning, rise early to read and to pray. And here I have in my little margin, my notes, bless you, driver's ed. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so some of you know exactly what, what I mean by that. Um, so this past week, You know, Lily started driver's ed, and so I'm getting her up at 5.15 in the morning. I'm an early riser, but not typically at 5.15, but that has actually been a blessing because I've had time now to linger with God in prayer and read his word, and I'm not in a hurry. (laughs) Though it's been a tiring week, I'm blessing God for sending driver's ed, and for another reason, it's increasing my prayer life for my daughter uh, (laughs) while she prays, (laughs) while she drives. So... Um, so morning, hey, challenge you. Spend some time in the morning. If that's not yet a habit for you, maybe today is the beginning of one. Rise early. And one of the things I'm asking God to do in the morning is praying for grace, new grace, new mercy for the day. If I start off that way, I'm reliant upon him and dependent upon him throughout the day. Uh, midday, this is more recent for me. I'm starting to do something around lunchtime or around midday is where I just stop everything I'm doing, put my phone down, laptop, nothing, and just sit in silence, read a psalm, and just sit there in quiet for five minutes. This is hard to do for some of us, including me. But it reminds me, I am just a creature. He's the creator. He doesn't need me. I need him. So I have a posture of humility towards him, just sitting in silence, reading a psalm, reflecting on that, listening to him with my soul at rest, even if it's just for five minutes. And then before bed, this has been my habit with my wife Uh, ever since we were married. We would pray, we do pray together uh, before we go to bed. Um, Whether you're married or not, I I would ask that you would consider praying before you go off to sleep. A prayer of thanksgiving. And if some of you, if that's a new thing, man, I'm a little scared to pray with my spouse, maybe to start with, grab her hand and say, Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for how you've provided for us. Amen. It's a good start. These are the rhythms, right? The rhythms of our day. Um, Our relationship with God is not based upon what we do for God, but what he's done for us in Jesus, but our enjoyment of God is fueled when we meet with him regularly. So here's the challenge, dads. Make it a priority to meet with God daily and watch what God does in your life and the lives of others around you. Make it a priority to meet with God daily and watch what God does in your life and in the lives of those around you. Do it. Be a man of integrity privately. Now evidently for Daniel, as we get back to the story, this habit was so consistent that they actually caught him in the act of praying because they knew he would be praying at this time. So they, they catch him. They, and they trap him. In verse 11, we read this. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And so they go and tattle on him to the king in verse 13. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And notice they call Daniel this outsider, kind of reminding the king, hey, he's coming from the outside anyway, he's an exile, so he's just bound to disrespect you, and so you should just get rid of him. And yet the king, we see here in verse 14, is deeply distressed. He loved Daniel. He respected Daniel. And now he's feeling really bad about this decision. And he knows he has himself only to blame. And so he tries to find a loophole in this law. But there's no wiggle room to this. There's there's no way it can be revoked in verse 14, and the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And yet we see here in the scriptures that he finally relents. There's nothing he can do, and he casts Daniel into the lion's den, hoping somehow that his God is going to deliver him. Look at verse 16. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions and the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Now what I find fascinating about that is that Daniel must have made a difference in this king's life. And this king must have observed the way he interacted with his God, how he served him continually and thought, there's a good chance that this God might deliver Daniel. So there's kind of this faith that's beginning to emerge Do we live our lives this way, lives of integrity, lives of unashamed worship to our God, that people on the outside are actually looking in and thinking, hmm, there's something about their God. So he was intrigued. Verse 17, the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, no Diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. By the way, I don't like verse 18. I mean, here he he is, Dan. He's thrown into the lion's den, and it's all of a sudden like in a movie where the scene shifts, like to the king's palace, and you're like, huh? Like, we want to know what's going on in the lion's den. That's where all the action is. Why did you move us to the king's palace? That's kind of boring. But what we see here is that the king is fasting, He so longs for Daniel to be delivered. He feels distressed inside. And so the climax of the story, let me just say a few words about these lions before we encounter what happens here. So executioners back in this day, they purposefully would starve lions. And there were lots of them. There weren't just like a couple of lions in this lion's den. We're gonna see that there were Plenty of them, many of them, as we're going to see at the end of the story. It's pretty disturbing. And these lions were very, very hungry lions. And so this is not like in a children's book where you see kind of there's a few lions there and then Daniel's kind of in the corner, everything's okay. There were Lots and lots of hungry lions in this den. so let's finish the story and see what happens in verses 19 to 22. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, "O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions?" Then Daniel said to the king, "O king!" Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Amazing story. King Darius Runs down to the den of lions and no harm. He was totally unscathed. And they raised him up, probably in a rope, which says that this was maybe a deeper pit that he was in. Can you imagine an 80 year old man on a (laughs) rope with all the lions down here? And again, um, verse 24 shows that this is not in your children's Bible. Um, And it gives us a radical point about this story. Look at verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Wow. Why is that detail there? Well, it shows us that God delivered Daniel. This was a miraculous deliverance, so much so that even this pagan king proclaimed God as the one true living God. Look at verses 25 to 27 as we close. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and to fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Imagine, this is a pagan king, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to, no, be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Praise God. So that's the story of Daniel. He was a man of integrity in a world of hostility. So how can we be the same? How can we be men and women of integrity in a world of hostility? Just two things as we close. Number one, it starts with looking at another man. Not Daniel, but Jesus. The only man who lived a life of perfect integrity. And perfect morality. One of the big things that I want to be able to communicate to you as we make our way through this series is what's called biblical theology, is when we see that every story points forward to Jesus. Why is that the case? There's a divine author that's doing more than what our eyes can see, and he wants to give all the glory to the only one worthy of it. So don't leave the story thinking, Daniel, what an amazing man. I'm going to be just like Daniel. Daniel points us forward to another man, Jesus. Think about the parallels again in this story. Just like Daniel, Jesus was innocent, right? Pilate could find no fault in him. And just like Daniel, Jesus was falsely accused by those who were jealous of him. You remember the Pharisees? They were trying to trap him to catch him. They were say traps, trying to catch him in what he had to say. And just like Daniel, Jesus was unjustly condemned and given over to a certain death. And just like Daniel, Jesus was placed in a pit with a stone laid in front and sealed. And just like Daniel, Jesus was delivered by God and saved his people from the lions of sin, death, and hell. Jesus is the greater Daniel. He's the greater Daniel. And if we want to be men and women of integrity, it starts by trusting in this man, the God-man, Jesus Guys, listen to me, it's not about working harder to become a better husband and father. It's not what this is all about here. It's it's about casting yourself upon Jesus for a new heart to give you his wisdom and his integrity and his courage, his attitude. And when we fail in this, because we will, we run back again and again and again to the one who died for us, for all of our failures, and will forgive us of our sins. So number one, how can we be men and women of integrity in a world of hostility? We look to another man. And then number two, we cultivate a quiet consistency of character. We cultivate a quiet consistency of character. I mean, this story confronts us with a call to faithfulness, doesn't it? Men, do you want to grow up to be an 80-year-old man like Daniel? Consistency, integrity, that does not happen overnight. So how are we, how, how am I, cultivating a quiet consistency of character? Last week I said this, that life is a series of moments. And most of those moments are not huge moments, huge decisive moments. Most of those are just really small, plain, mundane moments listen, what we do daily with those moments makes a huge difference and prepares us for the bigger moments. We may not shut the mouths of lions. We may not change the hearts of kings. But our faithfulness as fathers could change the lives of our family in this community, for the glory of God in this generation and in generations to come. If ever there was a day we need to be like Daniel, it's now. In a world of hostility, let's be men and women of integrity, let's pray. Father, what a challenge this story is to us. We look at the life of Daniel and we see a man of integrity, consistency of character, publicly and privately, He was the real deal. He lived this life for you, for one king's approval. Father, we pray that by your grace and by looking to Jesus, the greater Daniel, our lives too would be lives of integrity in this world of hostility. We pray this for your glory in Christ's name.